0: 9, the Hill, WCHL, and the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carol Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC journalism professor, Charlie Tuggle.
1: Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, potential changes for how college athletics is run. Our guest, Michael Cross, Assistant Athletics Director at Penn State and research consultant for a big survey from the Knight Commission that was released this week. So, Michael, when when I saw the press release come out of the Knight Commission and I saw the numbers of people who were agreeing that something needs to happen, uh, it was very encouraging from someone who has been promoting change uh, for a long time. But then uh, I have to admit to you, I was a little disappointed with the return rate. Uh, do, do, are you worried about selection bias in this report?
2: Well, it's a great question and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on. So let me let me speak to that. The, the return rate, we've done some pretty significant statistical analysis and The confidence interval that we can can subscribe to the research that was done is 95% with a plus or minus 5% uh, error rate. So we feel very good about the response rate and the ability to use the data to give insight as to possible directions the Knight Commission could go regarding future recommendations about how to uh improve the college athletic environment and reform that might be needed in the college athletic environment. So, uh, you know, the response rates ranged from, you know, we had 66% of uh, the commissioners respond. There's, you know, we had, uh, I believe, 21 of them. So, and all of the groups that we had, uh, had at least a 20% response rate, which for this type of survey, and considering the time that the survey was done, which was during uh, the summer uh, around a lot of the things that colleges and universities were dealing with for the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we feel very good about the response rate and feel that the, the data are quite sufficient to be able to provide insights about uh, what direction we might go.
1: So overall you had 362 respondents, which, which is a good number, generated 150 pages worth of uh, uh, data. The big headline is the majority—a good majority—of those who responded are not satisfied with the current governance structure.
2: What's the big problem? Well, that's a great—that's a great question. So, uh, look—you touched upon the satisfaction piece, and you know we found that not only is there dissatisfaction, but uh, people are seeking big solutions. Uh, for those problems. And they're, they're at the stage now where they don't want to dabble around the edges of change and change a policy here or tweak something there. I think there's a recognition that there's a fundamental problem regarding the values that are shared across column, co- college athletics, uh, the governance, as you mentioned, and the finances. And within the context of the governance, Uh, There's a few things that drive that, you know, starting with the way the NCAA structures governance and and gives voting power to the schools within the NCAA. There's a system in place that provides weighted voting. That weighted voting is heavily favored towards uh, the FBS institutions, the football bowl subdivision institutions of 130 schools, and even within that group, there's an even greater Uh, weighted voting toward the autonomy five institutions. And those are the the power five, which are more commonly referred to, you know, in the media, uh, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12. So the way that is structured, uh, those institutions uh, make up uh, about a third of the institutions in the NCAA. Um, meanwhile, the other two thirds of the institutions have less than half of the voting authority, uh, and the decisions are ultimately out of their hands and there's very little that they can do related to, uh, trying to take the association in a direction that they're comfortable with. And those weighted voting arrangements are based around the sport of football. Um, the NCAA's, you know, primary sport is, Uh, basketball. Uh, Obviously, it's the biggest revenue driver for the NCAA. And the challenge that you get there is that you've got institutions who are voting in ways that are supportive of their football interests, even though the NCAA does not sponsor its championship. And you create a situation where institutions feel disenfranchised within the structure of a membership association, which by definition should consider and consider, I think equally, the membership's views across the board as, as you know, the 351 institutions. So lots of challenges in there. It gets into a lot of uh, details related to the NCAA's voting structure um, and the bureaucracy through which things have to be navigated. But that's really at its, at its crux, the challenge that people face right now. Sports Focus, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about potential big changes in uh, how college athletics is run. We're talking with Michael Cross. Michael, uh, I, I wanted to ask you a lot, can, even in the press release and then digging down into the report, sort of a theme for me emerged, and it was the haves versus the have nots. And part of that is something that I have called the arms race. Can you uh, address both those things?
2: I'm very happy to. So let's, let's talk about the haves and the have-nots. So um, there is a range of finances across college athletics and, and their budgets that range from $4 million to $220 million, and that's across 351 institutions. So you can see, just based on those numbers alone, there is an incredible – range of abilities to spend, abilities to fund, abilities to provide resources to student athletes. And so that range in and of itself uh, led to one of our key findings in the study that there are the financial differences between institutions are too great. And there's a very strong opinion that that is the case uh, across the board, that there's simply too much imbalance as it relates to those types of things. So that's the first piece I would touch upon. Um, You know, from there, where those funding sources come from is the second aspect of what ties in here. So the revenue that is generated by the college football playoff and the uh, NCAA and turned back to the institutions in terms of revenue distribution totals more than $1 billion annually. That billion dollars... Uh, goes to the institutions, and they're able to use those funds in a a variety of ways, uh, some of which go directly to benefit student-athletes through things like the Student-Athlete Assistance Fund. But you take all those dollars, and the difference between those two pools of money is on one side of the equation, the NCAA money is generated from basketball. uh, But the NCAA, even though it does not sponsor the Football Bowl Subdivision Championship, also covers expenses related to that sport on a national level. So that's a challenging aspect. And I think for people who don't sponsor the sport, uh, they question why uh, those dollars are being used to fund activities that aren't really NCAA uh, championship activities. So that's one piece of the equation. The CFP and the dollars generated there are completely held within the FBS institutions. They're not shared with the other institutions. Uh, I think some people would say, well, they're the people who generate those dollars and uh, so it's appropriate that they get to retain those dollars. Uh, But I'd suggest based on what we saw on the other side of the equation with the NCAA's uh, revenue distribution and the fact that they do fund and cover uh, aspects of the CFP or sorry, FBS football, that um, the discrepancy and the difference between those two approaches is quite notable. Uh, and I do think that that's a point of concern and one of the places where funding differences start to be compounded. Without getting it's, too it, heavily... In-
1: Michael, if I might jump in, it seems like even within the Power Five, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because if somebody puts in a $10 million practice facility to be competitive, I have to put in a $10 million practice facility. If well, someone boy- offers indoor volleyball courts, I have to put in a lazy river. To be competitive uh, in recruiting,
2: well, there's no, there's no question that the, you know, you mentioned the arms race. Uh, the arms race happens in a lot of places. Uh, you know, the facilities that you reference are, I think, the most visible and the one that people talk about. You know, you talk about, you know, really high-end locker rooms and and all the improvements that are happening at stadiums and massive video boards. Those are all designed to uh, support winning and those types of things, but the arms race extends in other places, you know, the arms race, uh, extends into coaching salaries, you know, uh, and that's, that's a huge driver of those expenses, whether it's, uh, what you're paying your head coach, but just as importantly, what you're paying your assistant coaches. I mean, we're in a situation now where you have a substantial number of coordinators across the country in the sport of football who are making more than a million dollars a year. Um, I think there might be even one or two that are making almost $2 million a year. So those dollars add up very quickly. You add into those the dollars that are being spent on support staff for the sport. And the arms race is very real. And unfortunately, what you're seeing is you're seeing institutions now make choices to cut in other ways and unfortunately drop sports entirely in a way that they hope to keep up their spending practices related to the sports of football and men's basketball being the two primary areas where that happens.
1: So we have about a minute left in this block. I wanted to ask you about the idea of an antitrust exemption to control costs. It's why would we need an antitrust exemption? Is it because colleges and universities can't control
2: themselves? Well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's something that the study looked at. Uh, in fact, two thirds of the respondents in the study indicated they were supportive of uh, seeking an antitrust exemption. And in fact, 80, I believe 81 or 82 percent of the autonomy five were interested in seeking an antitrust exemption. And what it goes to is the issue that we were just talking about, which is how do you create an environment where you can control your expenses. And one of the primary expense areas is um, coaching salaries. So the extent to which you're able to come to an agreement about what a coaching salary might be uh, and put in place ways to uh, limit those expenses, uh, athletic administrators are are simply saying, look, we, we lack the ability to do this. Um, and the reason they lack the ability to do it is because, uh, of the competitive nature of sport, uh, and ultimately you're judged on wins and losses. And I do think, uh, there is a correlation between what you spend and the ability to be successful. Those resources allow you to have nicer facilities as you referenced and ultimately allow you to allow you a legal way to limit, uh, those expenses is what people are seeking. Sports focus. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about potential changes in how athletics is run on college campuses. And we're talking with Michael Cross. So, Michael, uh, in the final block here, I want to get into the three alternative models. Number one, separate FBS football from everything else. What would that do?
2: Well, so let's – I want to be clear about what that means first and foremost. So separate it's this is separating the sport of FBS football uh, and what it would do is it would create an environment where the sport itself would establish its own membership criteria would fund its operations through the college football playoff or other fees uh, determine its own revenue distributions and it would oversee the regulatory functions about compliance and athlete safety that are specific to the sport and you know right now each of the one hundred and thirty FBS institutions are you know part of the the arrangement we currently have and those schools would have a choice to either move outside move their football program outside the NCAA to a non NCAA football only entity or um, you know, stay within the NCAA and move to the FCS championship level. So that's the, that's the thought process behind it. And really what this does is it allows football to make decisions for itself in ways that are going to be helpful to the sport and beneficial to the athletes in that sport. And simultaneously, and just as importantly, it allows the NCAA to evaluate its governance, evaluate the weighted voting concerns that we talked about in the earlier segment, and create a situation where the sport of football and the concerns around the sport of football do not distort the decision-making within the association uh, and allow it to focus and really get back to uh, the environment that it was closer to Uh, quite some time ago with basketball being the organizing principle around which decisions are made in the association. And that's important because it's the only sport sponsored by every school in the NCAA. So all 351 of those schools can now make their decisions in ways that are beneficial to basketball and their other sports without football uh, having overt influence uh, in those decisions. A new uh,
1: Another model would be a new division for Power Five. So Power Five is sort of off on its own. It seems like we're almost there now.
2: Well, so that would be a, what we'll call a fourth division, if you will. And uh, the Autonomy Five, the Power Five, would uh, create that fourth division. Those 65 institutions would have the opportunity to a number of things related to that setup. they would be able to establish minimum number of sports for being in that division they could establish scholarship minimums they could figure out what their amateurism rules would be uh, and it would create their own championships as well. so those institutions would move to their own uh, their own level if you will, similar to what we have in divisions one two and three now and the key piece there and I want to emphasize again, would be that the men's and women's basketball tournaments would remain as they currently do. Uh, The survey data was very clear uh, that the men's and women's basketball tournaments and the way they're put together now is viewed as essential to the NCAA's structure. And as a result, I think people are very reluctant to see that change and that came through very loud and clear in the data that we collected.
1: And model three would be geographically based competitive affiliations by sport instead of multi-sport conference structure. So let me see if I can boil that down for the listeners. As I understand Mm -hmm. that it would be Carolina would play Clemson and then South Carolina in a, in a different conference instead of Clemson and then going all the way to Syracuse.
2: So that's, that's the premise behind it. Yes. Now I think a couple key pieces of that one I would say that that approach is a less radical approach than uh, the two models that we just talked about. Uh, and because
1: we're seeing some of that now, Michael, with because of COVID, uh, you, you're doing more. There is more regional competition this fall
2: no question uh and i think people uh have woken up to the idea that gosh maybe it's okay to play the the neighboring school or somebody from you know i'll use the term mid-major institution in a more uh equitable scheduling arrangement because of expenses because of travel because of he- because of health and safety so you know the model itself uh again i want to emphasize that this is not something that would apply to basketball basketball would remain as it is But institutions uh, are very aware of what their travel costs are. And as they try to figure out how to right-size their budgets, getting into arrangements that would be beneficial to have federated, geographically-friendly type scheduling does absolutely have merit. I mean, there are uh, conferences in the United States right now that stretch across three time zones. uh, And for some sports, you know, particularly where you have a revenue interest with football, that makes sense. The downside, and everybody knew this when this happened out of the gate, is that your travel and rivalries uh, and traditional rivalries are distorted or lost, and getting back to the types of competitions that are athlete-friendly, good for their educational experience, and that fans want to see, I think everybody benefits from. So It's not going to happen in all sports, nor do I think it should. Uh, There is a very strong sentiment among those who responded to the survey that keeping all their institutions in a multi-sport conference is desirable if possible, but there is openness to the concept of in certain sports uh, moving to a more geographically friendly federated approach and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in Uh, you know, the NCAA in the coming uh, months. And that does it for this
1: edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Michael Cross. Thanks also to producer Chip Sweeney. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers.
0: Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Husman School of Journalism and Media.